But that's, that's how we're designed to function as people, right? Even if you've never had kids and all that, you still, you still enjoy the mixture, the difference of old people, young people, uh, various people just hanging around together. That's who we are as a person. But if you ask James who he is, I'm actually an extrovert by training. I'm forced to be an extrovert. And in a way, I think if you extrovert too long, you just want to f- run away from being an extrovert. Because you're like expected to be extrovert. You know, go to a, a, a party and then your friends who are introverts will take you as the badgering ram. James, stand in front. Let's go. You talk to everybody else. We don't want to talk. All right? And then I'll do the talking, right? And, and, and it's just like you're on stage, you talk so much, and then you get sick of your own voice. I hear myself, ah, oh, James talking again, you know. So why? Because I can honestly tell you, I told my mom I have three dreams in life. And these are my three careers that I want to pursue. And from that, you would know I'm actually not an extrovert. My first, if you can see, I'm not like, that, I didn't know that thing happened. There's no, I did, there wasn't such a thing as a food blogger. But I wanted to be a, a chef. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to, be hide in, I wanted to hide in the kitchen. And specifically, I told my mom I wanted to be an Italian chef. And growing up in Singapore in the 90s to be an Italian chef, my mom was like, my son is weird. And I, she's like, you, why? <laughs> How? Like, where? How are you going to get to that? Where are you going to go? How are you going to do that? Uh, eventually, I partially fulfilled that dream, became a sous chef at an Italian restaurant in Melbourne. Hey, dream for few. Um, but my other one, which is even more ridiculous, I was uh, 16 years old, in love with guitars. I said, Mom, I'm going to be a guitar maker. And then she just looked at me like, you're going to starve to death. <laughs> like your guitar, who's going to buy your guitar, right? You're not Gibson, you're not Fender. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not Taylor. Who will buy a guitar? I don't know. I'm being so good. It's called a Thames. They, they, they think you're a knockoff of Taylors, you know. And I, I just want to be. I just want to like focus on it. Like hide in my wood workshop and just make guitar the rest of my life. I told my mom I'll fly to Spain and somewhere to learn how to make it. I'll just be stuck from an apprentice. And then she just like shut up. Go do your O levels. <laughs> Then finally, right, I, I, I did okay in my old levels, uh, did okay for my literature, my English. I, I, I realized I could write. Uh, my Chinese composition, my English composition was not too bad. I said, Mom, I found my dream calling. She said, well, I'm going to be an author. I'll write books on a yacht. <laughs> By myself. Nobody to disturb me. Float in the middle of the ocean. She's like, and then the storm will come and then you'll sink. My mom is very realistic. <laughs> <laughs> but then for, for me, I was very idealistic. But you can see that my tendency, I didn't want to interact with people in my work. I just wanted to be like by myself, do my thing, create stuff, and that's all I want to do. And I think God is amazing. God is humorous. Because in a way, He gave me best of the both worlds. As a pastor, I'm frequently by myself, writing. Frequently by myself, writing, you know. And uh, during this one year, year and a half, because... You can't eat outside. I'll be cooking in Estate by myself. Pasta. Hey, <laughs> my Italian. Still can't make guitars, but. Um, then God forced me to get out of my shell from my writing because I could be there writing my sermons forever and ever and ever and ever. And then He makes me speak to people on stage. 
um, confronts the other side of me, which I am trained to do, but not comfortable, but I need to embrace, because it's also me. It's become a part of who I am today. Because if you've asked me, don't talk now, it's also a problem. I'm just like struggling, conflicted soul. So the honest truth from James's heart is, I will choose to not engage if I had the choice. Right? I would choose to just hide by myself, have a book, and this is ideal. Even in, in including the soft blankets, hot chocolate, a book, Alps. One day I'll be there. <laughs> And then sit in, if you notice, this is not a hotel. You notice it's like a caravan. It's out the window of a caravan, in the middle of nowhere, and just by myself. But then God says, get married, James, and now you have a son, so you can't do that by yourself. But if that's who I am, as a person, I want to hide, I want to be by myself. I can read and read and read, which is such a strange thing because I hated reading when I was younger, but now I'll just read books and I'll just have my hot chocolate, my marshmallows, and just journal. And there'll be life, awesome, a wonderful holiday for two weeks or two years. <laughs> but that's who I am. But God says no. That's not who you are designed your essence to be as a human being. It may be your tendency, your personality, your inclination as James, but at the core, you still will not survive if that's all you get. Having traveled to various places and uh, being at various places, uh, interacting with different people, I, I, I'm always asked this question before people go somewhere or when, before they come somewhere. I say, hey, James, which is the best church in your area? And I get that so often when I was in Andrews University in, in Barron Springs, Michigan, because within 1.5 kilometer, 2 kilometers, there's like 20 churches. Within like, just within the campus, you can walk to like five different church and like 20 different Sabbath school class if you want. And so people ask, which is the best? And I'm like, I'm honestly telling you, I don't know because I haven't been to all of them. But that's how a lot of our mindset, even when I go to a new a city or a new town, I'll Google, I'll Google. So it tells me that the Google presence is really important because I choose which church to attend for that Sabbath if I'm new to the city based on what I see on Google. And then I'll try to like go a little bit more if they have Instagram, their Facebook, and it's, it looks really exciting. I'll be like, maybe I should follow. I should go visit a church. Because I've had experience where I didn't have any choice. I go to a church and I told you, right, there was only five old ladies and it was just me. That was church awesome, but it was still not what I expected. But it's a mindset of church shopping for a lot of people. In Singapore, it's really easy. It's not far to drive from one church to 50 others within an hour. In fact, if you drive for two hours, you drop off Singapore. You can visit, you can choose where you want to go. Even for the Seventh-day Adventist church, I understand because this is where all human beings live in the earliest time, but within like 15 minutes, there's like three churches. There's, there's Asdaq, there's Blessed Church, there's Thompson Chinese Church. You can go take a bus and it goes three, four stops, you're at another church. You can choose, you can shop, you can decide. And if you don't like the pastor, you can go from one to the other. You don't like the ministry leader, you don't like the air con, you don't like the, the, the sermon, you don't like the lights. You, know, you, can, you can change. You can, don't like the potluck, then you should never leave Asdaq. Now we're better. Although I really 
haven't had that for a while. See, but the thing is, with James, I cannot visit another church when I'm offended or wounded. Man, that's not nice. I'm going to Thompson tomorrow. I can't. I have to stay here, right? It's my church. And, and in fact, isn't that what God asks us to do, to commit to an environment, a, a group of people, even when you don't like it? That's called evangelism. Evangelism is not a program you run for 28 nights. It's living life in a way where people who are not a part of it eventually become a part of it because the group that don't understand this new individual learns to accept and invite the person in. In fact, God in His miracle for the one and a half years that we have not met, there's one person who's going to get baptized at the end of this month. She came in. She came in by herself. The first Sabbath we opened up. She just found us. And then she's been coming. She's like one of the most on time. She came like Sabbath school time. Boom, she's there. And then she's gone through Bible study and, and she just told us she's going to get baptized. Margaret, if you don't know who Margaret is, get to know her. There's not that many of us. So Margaret's going to get baptized on the 31st of July. If anybody else is thinking about baptism, let me know. 31st of July, there is one. God provides to the community, challenges the community, even when the community is struggling to be a community because we don't know how to function all of a sudden. We, can't, we have to wear masks and then we can't have potluck. We can't talk to each other outside of worship services. But it's in a way we know that by design, we need people in our lives. So turn with me to the, the chapter of the Bible that always is only used in weddings, but I think it's actually more for the church. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. Street reading for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. I'd like to read it again. I would listen to it again because remember that when, when Paul wrote to the Corinth church, he didn't write to a wedding couple, he didn't write to lovebirds, he was writing to a church in turmoil a church that's struggling, a church that he did not plant, actually. He's never visited Corinth's church at this point. And so he's writing to a church that he doesn't know, but he loved nonetheless. And he's concerned. In fact, if you read before chapter 13, it was almost like him scolding them. But come 13, chapter of love, found in the middle of people saying one of the harshest books written by Paul. Let's read. Chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clang cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And in a way, we look at this verse, we look at it very conceptually, but Paul was actually talking about actual people having actual gifts, actual experience. And he said that they have love, but if you have all those amazing things that you see from all these apostles like Peter, like John, like you see all this amazing work by them and you have no love, there's no point wanting that gift but not driven by the right source of motivation. 
And Paul is saying, I'm writing to you, Corinth church, not to rebuke you because I'm punitive. I'm not writing to you to have control over how you function as a church, but I'm writing to you, even if I have not met you, Corinth church, I love you. And love asked me to write. And, and, and in fact, if you look, you, you sense the emotion. People say it's harsh, but I think it's very deeply emotional. And it's amazing because he didn't plant them. He doesn't really even have real relationship with them, but yet he cared for them because they are also a child of God. The church made up of people who God loves, and so he, in seeking to love like Jesus, loved them deeply. But here, look at the comments. He says that the scripture we read, the scripture we understand, must be lived out within the family of God. Because all these gifts that he mentioned will be useless if you're the only person in wherever you are. What's the point of speaking in tongues if there's nobody listening to you? What's the point of, like, see, noisy clanging cymbal? Nobody cares. And if you can pr have prophetic powers, declaration of social justice, of future events, and then coming of saving grace, but nobody's listening to you, what's the point? If you have faith to move mountain, but you're deep in the middle of nowhere, and nobody cares whether a mountain moves 10 kilometers to the left, what's the point? He's saying that if I give away all I have, if I die as a martyr, there is no point if I have nobody to share it with. Love must be expressed. Love must be something that people come to understand. Remember when I was, uh, my first crush was when I was 12 years old. Oh, very early, primary six. Maybe I was trying to not to think about PSL, I don't know. I hope she's not watching this at all. Uh, her name is Mary, do you remember? She lived across the school where I studied. And she's in my class, my classmate. And we've been in the same class since primary three. All right. And so she sits, there's five rows. I'm always at the back because I talk too much. And she sits in the third seat to my right. I still remember exactly where she sits. Every day, every day in class, my angle of my seat will be this. Teachers here, <laughs> here. But then, I think God has his ways. She's a very good student. She's one of the top students in class. And because I have to like, live up to, you know, be worthy of her love, I study hard. Uh, I didn't study hard in class because I couldn't pay attention. I was paying my attention to her. Um, but I had to study hard at home. Uh, my parents never knew why. Because probably three and four, I was hopeless. My teacher was summoned by my, my, uh, my mom was summoned by my teacher so many times. And then suddenly, probably five, probably six, I was okay. I started to study. But then we're coming, uh, we finished our PSLE. It was the last day of class. And I decided, all or nothing. I got to tell her. I don't even know if I tell her what would happen, right? 12 years old. <laughs> so at the end of um, like celebration, party, oh, I must have scared her. <laughs> I walked up to her. I need to talk to you. 
outside, <laughs> like gangster, eh? outside. She's like, okay, James. So we're one of the two with like English names. So it's kind of kind of like connection. <laughs> I imagine in my mind. I went out and I told, you know, um, well, I know you sit over there. She's like, of course, everybody knows where everybody sits. Um, uh, I, I really, really think you're a great person. And she's like, thank you. I mean, I, I like you. And then the air was froze. Air just froze. <laughs> Couldn't hear anything she said. Uh, all I remembered was, I like you too. But we're 12. Bye. But then, it, I, the moment I said it, whew, my life was able to move on, right? I was able to say it out. I should have said it on the second day of class. Um, but that's the story. Huh? A lot of times, love, if it's not a, a expressed, becomes something that holds you back. And that's not just for like puppy love and crushes, but for like family. We've been at one too many hospital beds where the kid comes and says, I love you. I love you for the first time in their life. And, as I, and I'll hear it again and again. I wish I told you more. I wish I told you earlier. Don't wait. If you love someone, tell them. Young people, talk to me first before you tell someone you love them. But for family and all those, if not express your love and care, it doesn't have to be words. But express it. Don't hold it back. But one of the people that we don't express love to and we're called to do is are our fellow church members. God calls us of, of all people to love your fellow church members first and foremost. But very often we just treat each other like we're at a movie theater. We all bought tickets. Your seat is G2, I20, FJ. Hey, I know that. Hey, hey, hey. Popcorn nice, huh? And there we go. We do not invest in the relationship that God is calling us to invest in. And all of a sudden, God takes it all the way from the church that all we have left is this worship service and then we just let it be so. God gave us seven days a week. And He says, God, I'll give you one hour to invest in the people that you love deeply. How about the rest of the time that we have? And our tendency is just to isolate ourselves, stick to what we know, go through our routine, go to work, go home. But how about the church family God has given to you? What are you going to do about them? Some of us say that we're evangelists. My work is to win souls for Jesus. Where are you going to win them to? God says bring them into the community of love, the church. But if you yourself have not invested in the community of love, where are you going to bring the souls you win into? Where? Because if you are not used to building loving community, if you bring them to yourself, they will leave because you don't love them too. And often as pastors, we fall into that trap where we are focused on evangelism for the numbers. I've got so many people, but I don't love them. And that's the danger. 
And Paul says, if you're an evangelist, you're great with the gifts of tongues of men. You can speak in different languages, preach the gospel where people understand, but you don't love them, then you're nothing. I'm talking to myself. That even though if I can preach in all the languages required in the world to understand the gospel, even if I'm an awesome preacher, but if I do not love the people I'm trying to reach, I'm just a loud symbol, clang, clang, clang. If I'm able to be a prophet, and all the more you see today, prophets are people crying out for social justice, for things that are wrong. They're calling them out continuously. In the Old Testament, the, the prophet's work was to call attention to the neglected, to the deviation from God's way of ruling His kingdom, from taking care of the weak and needy. Because that's what God has commanded His people to do. The prophet's call to attention. Even if you're on any social cause in the world that is all good and right, but you do not love, then you're nothing. And the ultimate love is showing them that the prophecy of the Scripture leads to a reconciliation with a father who is broken, torn away from his children. If you're not introducing people back to restore their relationship with God, then what's the point? You could be a Bible teacher. You could memorize the book of Daniel and Revelation and be able to teach the prophecy. Know every single number that's listed, but you teach it out of pride, out of, because I know so much, you're so silly, you don't know the Bible. Now, rationally, you should accept this, but you don't love the person you're teaching, then there's no point. As I said before, I mentioned many times, I've more than one theology professors, theologians, Memorize Daniel and Revelation in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. Speak it, but don't believe in God. They can teach it. They know the numbers. They know the symbols. They know how to explain it better than I can ever explain it. They spend 40 years of their lives studying these two books, but they don't love because there's no God. Love has to be the premise of our understanding and of, of our knowledge of who God is because God is love. You could be a prayer warrior. You could pray and things happen. You can pray and mountain moves. Right? I wish to meet such a person. But you have moving it to show off. <laughs> Don't think the mountain move at all, actually. Because the love, the faith that the Scripture talks about is tied to the person you have faith in. And that is our Father, our God. And if you've been in the church, you've prayed many, many times, but you realize that it's not effective, maybe you need to relook at how your relationship is with the Father. Is there love? And biblical love is never single. It's always the cross. You cannot love the Father if you don't love those around. The Bible says, love your God, but love the neighbor. If you have not committed and invested in your relationship with those around you, you cannot honestly say that you love God truly. You could be a ministry leader, leading out in worship, leading out in prayer, leading out in social, leading out in all the various awesome stuff in church, but yet, if it's not driven by love, but because of power and position and boredom, then there is nothing in your work. 
this is harsh. You can go on and it says you can give all your things. You can philanthropist. You can give all your money away. And recently, we, we see that happening. One of the top philanthropists, Bill Gates in the world, boom, his life collapsed. Putting on the facade of who he is. Now exposed. If you talk about giving away money, he's giving away a lot of money that I can never even imagine earning in my lifetime. He's just given it away. But yet, if you don't love God, you don't love man, then it's useless. You cannot just give money to the church but not love the church you're giving to. In fact, Paul continuously mentioned that is first you love the community and you express it by giving to it. And, uh, and you see that happening when Paul was in need, when Paul was having difficulties in Philippians, he was having challenges. The church came and supported him, even though they themselves didn't have much, because they loved Paul and they loved the Philippi church. And you know, today, so you can be a generous donor in, in, in ASDAQ, and thank you for that. But you have to take a step more to be invested in this community in a loving relationship because I know you actually love. But you're like the Asian dad. My grandfather used to, he's not very expressive, you know, he has a very stoic expression. He used to sell charcoal, so, you know, all he sees is black charcoal and fire and carts. And so when we were there, um, you, would, you would see that. Uh, he wants to express his love, but he could he would smile. My, my, my dad used to say, that's the only time he smiles is when the grandkids come over. But it's a little bit. It's not like, it's a little bit. A little bit of smile. But he expressed his love by, by giving us things. You know, we, once we arrive, even though we've just had lunch, I think James is hungry. Let's, let's feed him. Because he, he has food. He's going to feed me. That, that's, you must understand, he grew up in poverty and no food. Right? Starvation. So giving food is awesome. Giving food to my grandson. And then I'll like crawl and walk to, waddle to the gate. And he said, like, oh, he wants to go and play with the, the cars across the road. And my, my mom would be like, no, he's, he's just looking around. No, 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 no. Let me bring him. And he would carry me and my sis and bring me across the road in Topayo to, you know, those 20 cents. And you drive the little car. And then on the way back, of course, anything we put our eyes on, he says we want it. He'll buy it for us, you know. Then we come back with a lot of stuff, and my mom's like, why are you buy him so much stuff? Oh, they want it. They want it. And so his way of expressing love is to give materially. But I've never really had like, him like, James, I love you. I don't need that. I understand that. But he, I realized I was growing older. It used to be grandpa always buy us stuff to really actually grandpa spend time with us for a man like him to really bring us around and, you know, play, is really not him. So if you're generous, a generous donor to ASDEC, experience the fruit of that labor. Be involved in this community, your grandchild, treat like your son. Don't be the Asian dad, like just give money from a distance and just don't get involved. Come and experience the love that you really deserve. But it goes on, it goes on to say, even the martyrs, this is harsh. Even if you think you're dying for truth, but if you have no love, then you're nothing. It's scary to know that you can die for the wrong thing. You can die for the right things and yet do it wrongly. 
So today I'm speaking to Aztec, but I'm also speaking to all parents. And I'm learning about this truth that every day I remind myself that my son is not only my son. My son is the son of God. My son is also a person that Jesus died. How do I treat my son if God would die for him? The love that I, I'm willing to invest has to be more than just a parental love. And I'm learning every day to love my child with godly love. Because godly love surpasses parental love. And I'm learning. And parents, God's saying that you can teach your son all about Jesus. You can give your son all the things, your child, all the things in the world. You can entertain and play with your son all day long, but you do not love him truly as how Jesus will love him. You still need to seek for God's help to do that more. Children, your parents are children of God. Jesus died for your parents too. It's easy for younger persons to think your parents are annoying. Teenagers, I know, I once was, long time, but yes, I was a teenager. Maybe still am, but I'm home. They could be like naggy and annoying and try to control your life and try to tell you what to do, right? And you expect almost that they should love you. You just say, just love me. You gave birth to me, you better love me. But realize that love is a two-way street. You can't just take and not give. Parents are also children of God. And you must learn to love them not only as your parents, but love them like God would. That the same Jesus who died for you, died for them. And as children, how can we express that? To love them not just as your biological parent, but to love them as your spiritual godly parent that God has given you. Something we're all learning. I'm still learning. Spiritual growth is not found in discovering, expressing, or exercising spiritual gifts. It is found in loving and in valuing the gathered body of Christ. And the body of Christ, where you use your gifts and talents to serve, are also in your homes. And those gifts are just but tools for you to express and discover how much God loves them and God is challenging you to love them. I, I'm learning that by trying to discover more of my spiritual gifts is so that I could serve more of God's family. It must be in the right order that I must love those that God loves and I seek for gifts to serve them. It must not be I serve them in order to discover my love for them. And the strange thing about love, you can't will it to happen. It happens. So move from knowing each other 
in this community and the community around, wherever you are, to expressing your love for them outside of these four walls. I know the name of somebody in church. Go beyond that as then. The challenge for you is to not just know their names and know who they are, but to find opportunity to come and express your love for them, for one another. To learn that you are not just focused on how, what can I gain from my walk with Jesus? How can I grow spiritually? To realize that you cannot grow spiritually by focusing on yourself, but by focusing on the body of Christ. Because they will help you grow when you're in the interacting with them, rubbing shoulders, buffing each other's shoulder, or just rough shoulders off to be smoother. That's how you grow. If you tell me, Pastor, I've been in church for 20, 30, 40 years, and I've not grown spiritually. Well, let's try to be involved in somebody's life intentionally. You will grow. Because you'll be praying more. You'll be reading your Bible more. You'll be asking God for help more. If you think that your Bible knowledge is not growing, try giving Bible studies. You're like, nobody's asked me that question ever before. Till today, I give Bible study all the time and still the students will ask me, I'll be like, wow, there are still new questions that I can hear. And I go, I'll come back to you next week. I, don't, I really don't know. I'm a pastor and I don't know because I've not read that obscure verse. Well, I've read it, but I didn't pay attention. And I go, hmm, good point. I don't know. Let me find out. So the church must become a community that not just share beliefs. We don't just share doctrinal distinction. We must learn more and more as a community, as a body of Christ, to share lives. And I have to confess, there's a lot of sharing of lives that I have to catch up and God, in a way, the COVID gave me catch-up time. There's a lot of homes that I've never visited till recent years. There's a lot of meals that I've not had until COVID forces me to have meals in twos. So I ask person one by one and, and I'm like, oh, this is the first time I've eaten with you ever. Just by two of us, ever. Sharing lives is what God is calling us to do. We start by understanding that we have been grafted into Christ as his body. That's a follower of Christ. You're not an individual stick flying around in the wind. You've been grafted into his body. I'm going to talk about that next week. Can I ask the congregation to stand as we close uh, church service with the final hymn? Holy, holy, holy.
God, you are community and you've invited us into your community. And Lord, we know that we're not in this community just as individuals, but as a body of Christ. So Father, help us to learn from one another, love one another, seek out one another, invest in one another. Lord, that we don't see each other just as fellow church attendees, we see each other as our family in Christ. So Lord, help us that we will not waste any time in the following week to not invest in others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.